Edwin Frondozo on the Business Leadership Podcast every week for a unique program featuring insights and actionable items from the world's most successful business leaders. Hear firsthand the exclusive interviews and personal journeys on how today's transformational leaders made it to the top. Hey everybody, it's me, it's Edwin, and thank you for joining me on the Business Leadership Podcast. Pretty excited to share this episode number 33 with Mark Kohan. Mark is the chairman of the board of Toronto Global, an agency that focuses on bringing foreign direct investment into the Toronto region. This agency was responsible for putting together a bid to bring Amazon's HQ2 to Toronto. In this episode, Mark talks about his experience leading the Canadian Football League, the CFL, as the 12th commissioner after working for the NBA and Major League International. It was interesting to hear his stories and the mentorship from his father, a successful business person who brought McDonald's to Canada and Russia. I want to save all the good stuff for the interview, but before getting started, I would like to thank my media partners, IT World Canada, for the support of the podcast. Now enjoy the show. Welcome to the Business Leadership Podcast, Mark. Thank you. Great to be here. <laughs> awesome. But Mark, let's let's start off by just introducing yourself to our listeners, perhaps people who don't know who you are. But let's start off by telling something about you, something personal, what you do when you're not leading and growing businesses. Interesting. Uh, well, my name is Mark Kohan. Um, I have wear a lot of different hats. So what's the thing that people don't know about me? Because um, I've had many p- public roles. I would say that I was a zookeeper in high school. at the Metro Toronto Zoo, that I led an expedition in the Arctic in 1990, lived in Siberia in the Canadian High Arctic. So my free time, we live on the ravines in Toronto and we have a cottage on Lake Simcoe. I love being in nature. Like I'm a huge wildlife geek. I love, you know, in in Toronto, we actually have had coyotes living in our backyard. We've had deer on our property right in the city. So I'm a little bit of a a nature nerd. uh, And that's sort of a neat part of me. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's probably interesting too uh, for the folks that are listening and don't know Toronto. Uh, When you're Toronto's very city, but there are places in the city, I guess, where you could pretend that you're already in the country. It, it, it's amazing. So if, if there are people listening, I've lived in New York City. I lived in San Francisco. I lived in Chicago. I lived in London. Where I live in Toronto, you know, let me step back. So Toronto has the most ravines out of any city in the world, mm-hmm. which is pretty amazing. So we live, we our house backs onto a ravine. And the walk to Young and Blur, which would be the equivalent of the walk to 57th, um, you know, and 5th Avenue in New York City, takes me 15 minutes. Uh, so we were right in the heart of the city, but we have the country around it. So that's one of the things I love about being here uh, in Toronto. That's awesome. So I just want to really jump in. It's really exciting where I'm here sitting at your office, but tell us about Toronto Global, your current role, and, and what are you trying to accomplish over here? So, you know, I wear a lot of different hats and we'll get into it. One of the hats I wear and one of the things I wanted to do after I left as commissioner of the Canadian Football League, an eight-year successful run there, I said, I want to continue to to help a country I love. I want to help small, young Canadian brands, but I also want to help the city that I love. So I was approached about a year ago by the mayor of Toronto, uh, by the premier, as well as the prime minister's office to say, we're setting up this new agency to help promote 
promote Toronto around the world and bring in foreign direct investment. You know, I talked about living in Toronto. Toronto in the economist is ranked as one of the best cities in the world to live. But in terms of it punches well below its weight in terms of attracting foreign direct investment. We're going to get into Amazon later in this interview. Um, so they asked me to do this, and that's what I've been focused on right now. So Toronto Global is a new agency focused on bringing foreign direct investment into the Toronto region and creating jobs for our citizens. I mean, it's an important role, and for those within the tech space within Toronto and perhaps across North America, Toronto's definitely reaching out and more. There's a lot more... I would say support coming from the city and the country where maybe in the past, and maybe you could correct me if I'm wrong, if you're coming from Toronto, it might have not been so special to cheer on Toronto or really support Canadian companies. Well, you know, we the North, you know, that's right. Uh, the, the prime minister was just out in Waterloo at Hack the North, uh, one of the at, at Waterloo, you know, one of the interesting things is that Toronto on a global scale is really coming into its own. From a North American perspective, you know, our region has the third largest uh, tech ecosystem. We have over 400,000 people working in the Toronto region in tech. That is, you know, just behind San Francisco and New York City. In the last year, we've put more jobs, created more new jobs in the Toronto region, almost 22,500 new tech jobs. That's more than New York and San Francisco combined. So there is this ecosystem that's growing here. But Besides that, you know, on a global stage, you know, I'm also chairman of the Juno Awards, you know, for American listeners, you know, that's the Grammy Awards uh, for Canada or the Brit Awards for people in the UK. You know, the top artists in the world are all from the Toronto region. You know, think of Justin Bieber. That's right. Think of Drake. Think of The Weeknd. Think of Shawn Mendes from Pickering. Mm -hmm. Think of Alessia Cara from Brampton. Um, you know, iHeartRadio did their awards in the US and they had six stars in the pop category, five of them were Canadian. So in, ad in addition to this tech ecosystem, in addition to the music scene, in addition to how the Raptors are playing, you know, there's a lot happening in our city right now that's exciting. Yeah, there's a buzz and me being born and raised in Toronto, it, it's, it's amazing to see me living in different parts of the world as well. So it's just great to be part of it. And you did touch upon something that I just really wanted to mention, and I'm sure a lot of cities are talking about it. It's, it's, it's this, this aspect of, of Amazon and, and who they are and, and what they might actually bring, uh, when it comes to jobs and bringing that, that, that brand to Toronto, like, love to get your thoughts on this. So it's interesting. So probably this, this podcast might air after all the bids are in for Amazon. That's right. You know, I look at it this, you know, Amazon has challenged North America to find their second headquarters. Um, the challenge that they have and what we've learned in the research that we've uh, been able to uncover is talent. You know, they really need to attract talent to re and retain talent. And I think there's a couple things that make the Toronto region so attractive, not just to the Amazons of the world, but to the Alibabas, to, you know, small entrepreneurs and big companies. Um, you know, we, Thomson Reuters moved their global headquarters to Toronto in the last year. Booking.com just moved an office here of 600 new people. Slack, uh, just opened up an office here. 
you know, our, there's a couple of different things we talk about. We talk about the tech ecosystem. We talk about access to talent. So if you think of the godfather of artificial intelligence, Professor Hinton at the U of T, mm-hmm. he really is that person. So we have this amazing hub with artificial intelligence, but we have unbelievable university here, you know, from Waterloo to the University of Toronto that is creating all these graduates in STEM and in AI. So this amazing talent that's here. You know, similar to other great cities like Boston. But the thing that's, I think, our secret sauce is that we're very tolerant and open society. Um, and that is, I think, the the special sauce that is Canada. You know, that is the special sauce that it differentiates us uh, as a country. Uh, so the, the fact that we have open immigration, that allows us to attract over 100,000 new immigrants a year, allows us to attract highly educated people, allows companies to bring in, you know, workers from around the world. And I think that is what's making you know, Toronto and the Toronto region blossom. And, you know, the story about our growth is is quite exciting right now. Oh, that's great. And last question, and I mean, both of us being from Toronto could probably talk about this forever, but you being in the position that you're in now with Toronto Global, what are the rest of the world saying about us? I mean, it's nice what we say and we live in here, we could be in a bubble, but What's the reality outside of Canada, outside of Toronto, when they look at when they're looking at us as, it, as a place to live? It, it's amazing. So I think the New York Times said, you know, Toronto was was the place to visit uh, this past summer. Wow. Um, I was just having a conversation with some of the senior executives at General Electric. They toured Toronto. They've put more jobs here and. They said they love it because of the cultural diversity and the entertainment, like the excitement uh, that that people really feel in the city. One of the leaders at Slack that decided to open up an office in Toronto, our CEO at Toronto Global was taking their team out for dinner. And I think it was on Queen Street. You know, for those who are not from Toronto, it's really, you know, a vibrant, really young area of Toronto, but it's been around for a long time. And he looked around in the restaurant and he said, where are all these young people come from? Um, you know, and where do they go after this is over? Is there something special? Is there a game going on tonight? And our CEO said, no, they live here. You know, this migration to downtown Toronto, the fact that we have 75 cranes in the sky just in the core of Toronto is meaning that people are creating this sense of density, these neighborhoods where everyone wants to live. Um, and that's pretty exciting. No, it's really exciting. That's great. Um, you touch upon this, doing an eight-year successful role leading uh, the Canadian Football League. Uh, you were the, what, 12th commissioner. I mean, what I read about you, it's very historic. I mean, you were the driving force. It was like a renaissance in the league. So you had a remarkable run. You saw the Seafell's business model transform and its brand being rejuvenated. So really, Mark, I just want to start, like, how did you do it? Hmm. Interesting. One, it was passion for the job. So, I, you know, I played, I, I, I had worked in major league baseball before that. I had worked, uh, at the NBA. So I, they were looking for someone with real sports experience and I, I had that experience. Um, but it really starts with your love of the game. And I had a true love for the game because I play, I was captain of my high school football team. I was recruited to play in university. I had, decided that I wasn't big enough and I was never going to make professional. So, you know, I'll watch from the sidelines and, and be a fan. Uh, so it starts with the love of the game. And when I came in into the league almost 10 years ago, the league was having its challenges. You know, one of our, t- one of the teams had gone bankrupt in Ottawa. Stadiums were crumbling. You know, people were trying to compare it always to the NFL, which is the juggernaut there. 
if you you wouldn't recall this, but the football that the CFL used to use was called the J5V. It was a bigger football than the NFL's football. And the previous administration of the league had an, an ad campaign. It was called Our Balls Are Bigger. <laughs> and my first day on the job, I went onto a website and I said to my team, take that down. Our job is not to compare ourselves to the NFL. Our job is to say, what an amazing league we have and to celebrate that. So I, I really started by saying, this league is almost 100 years old. It has this amazing equity built up in the league. We have to be proud of who we are as Canadians and proud of the league. So we launched a campaign called This Is Our League. I remember my first month into the job, I uh, wrote an op-ed piece in the National Post saying why the CFL matters. And all of a sudden, people around the league who felt a little downtrodden because, you know, teams had gone bankrupt, you know, financially weren't doing all, said, you know what, this does matter to us. And it started to create the snowball effect that people started to get really excited. All of a sudden, sponsors started to come on board. We went to the government to start to build new stadiums. We found new owners in Ottawa, some of the wealthiest Canadians to bring the team back in Ottawa, even though that took a long time. Uh, we started to build up respect around the game. You know, owners used to belittle our refs in public. I said, you have to stop that, you know, and I started to find owners who did that. So just bringing respect back to the game, you know, that this was truly Canadian and part of our cultural heritage really started to create this patriotism around our brand. And, you know, I think we saw it in the Olympics in 2010 in Vancouver, and we slowly started to see that with the CFL. Every Grey Cup started to sell out. You know, the ratings were huge. 30, 40% of the country started to watch our games on television. And we really started to bring the pride back. So it started from that simple premise of the love of the game, protect the game, and really start to show people why this matters. And then you start to build the business around it. Yeah, I mean, it's really fascinating when I when I listen to these transformational things that happen to businesses, to leagues, or to the CFL. And it really started with, with that, I mean, you said it, passion. But I guess coming into office, how did you really rile up even your, your team internally? Because they've been spending many years maybe like feeling like it was a hopeless uh ho hopeless mission they might might be on well it's really interesting and you know i don't want to tell my own my own horn and my own trumpet um but well, let, let me show you an example of i think the impact that leaders can have or ceos can mm -hmm. have you know the current leader of uh ceo of mcdonald's um Steve Easterbrook. Um, you know, my family's been involved in McDonald's for years and years. My dad was the founder of McDonald's in mm -hmm. Canada and Russia. You know, that company over the years was going through some challenges. You know, he has really taken the helm, led a, you know, a significant revamp of the company, brought more millennials back into the business, really thought differently about moving their, their global headquarters from the suburbs down into the city energized the company. The stock price has taken off and people start starting to feel different about the brand. It's amazing what one person can do. Right. So when I came into the CFL, I literally said to the team, guys, what you do matters. Mm -hmm. You know, you should come in every day excited about your job. And if you're not excited about the job, then this might, isn't the place for you. I wanted people to be really excited about what they do. And you have to start with that premise. Because I, I learned that from my father. My father always said to me, Mark, if you're not happy what you're doing, then change your job. And, and I did that during my career. I made changes uh, at times where I wasn't happy and took risks. And I think you have to do that over the course of your career to, to find your, the right place for you. 
It really fascinates me, Mark, when doing this podcast, meeting amazing business leaders to see where they are today and perhaps some of the transformations they had to take you know, throughout their career to mm-hmm. become where they are, where they're sitting today. And when I look at your career, you, you mentioned it a number of times, it's public organizations. Mm-hmm. You were an executive at the major league, uh, executive in NBA. So I'd love for you to share some, some key turning points or perhaps some big learnings that you had that really helped you shape who you are today or even helped you shape that role within the CFL. Hmm. That's interesting. So um, I've been lucky to have mentors uh, along uh, along the way. Uh, one, my first my first boss in Major League Baseball, Steve Greenberg. Um, he was the deputy commissioner. He brought me into the league, and you know I was working for him for almost four years, and I was running the All Star Tour to Japan. You know, working at Major League Baseball International, and I remember uh, after the tour was ending, I was at the Narita Airport in Tokyo, and I was in the red carpet lounge uh, all by myself. There was no one else there, and in walked David Stern, the commissioner uh, of the NBA. And I'm like 27 years old. And I said, you know, I better go talk to David Stern. He's this iconic commissioner, really the dean of all the commissioners. So I walked up to him and I said, hi, I'm Mark Cohan from Major League Baseball. And he pulled me over and he goes, let's sit and chat. And I chatted with him for about an hour and a half about what Major League Baseball was doing and what the NBA was doing in Japan. I fly back to New York. At the time, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, was fired, Faye Vincent. Steve Greenberg, the guy who brought me in, was leaving to start Classic Sports Television. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wanted me to go work for him at, at the start of Classic Sports as Television. I reached out to David Stern and I became, you know, his for the first employee from another league that he had hired. Wow. Um, and worked for him for about seven years running international marketing. And if there is one person besides my father that we'll talk about later, who really helped shape me in terms of, you know, the role as commissioner, I think it was David Stern. Like I watched the difference between what was happening at major league baseball and what was happening at the NBA major league baseball, where the owners didn't really have a strong commissioner in place. And it was difficult. They weren't having a lot of success. Mm -hmm. And when you went to the NBA, there was a strong commissioner with real command for his brand and protecting the integrity of the game. So I watched David Sturm, you know, in a very close proximity, you know, uh, and, you know, he was all about the integrity of the game. He was all about building the brand and understanding your brand. Your brand is not about a slogan. It's really about the culture of your company and the culture of your league, you know, from how the, the receptionist greets you in your office to the type of charitable things that you're doing as an organization to how you treat your fans and your customers. And I think D- David Stern really helped me as I thought about being commissioner um, because I was decisive when I came in. Um, I protected the game. You know, I made sure that our officials in the games, uh, in terms of owners or coaches bad mouthing it, you know, we kept that in house. We didn't make it public anymore because I find them. Um, and that really helped me. I'd say the other side of the, of the balance was my father. Mm-hmm. Um, and my father is an amazing, I'll call him a, a retail leader. So what I mean by that, he loves walking into restaurants, McDonald's, and he's 80 years old now and he still does it. And if there is garbage in the parking lot, usually there isn't, but he'll pick it up and clean it. He'll walk in, he'll sit down and talk to customers. He'll walk behind the counter and shake the hand of every staff and he'll talk to everyone. And I saw that at a very young age. 
when I was a little kid touring restaurants with them. And I brought that mentality to the CFL that I was not going to be a commissioner that sat in skyboxes. I'm mm-hmm. going to sit with the fans. I was going to make myself accessible. And I think those learnings from people like my father to David Stern really helped shape my career. Great. Before you took over uh, the CFL as the commissioner, did you really take counsel with uh, David Stern? Did, did you really ask him for his advice? Um, yeah, when I took the job, uh, I did ask him for his counsel. And then I also remember TSN went down to New York to interview him. And they said, you know, what advice have you given Mark Cohan? Yeah. And he said, in his first year, whack the owners and whack them hard. And I'm like, okay, what do they mean by that? And I asked him, and he said, Mark, everyone's going to be testing you in the f- first year, the, the players, the coaches, the owners. And he said, you have, there's only one person, even though you report to all the owners, there's only one person that protects the integrity of the game. And that's what you have to do. And it was great advice coming from him early on in my career. So throughout your career, you changed roles and organizations, and it, it seems like you did that to always look for that 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 place that your father said that 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 happy place. And obviously, your team changed. Whether you're changing different leagues, different organizations, and now chairing different types of organizations as well. Um, so I just really want to know how are you continually growing as that effective leader? I mean, you're still learning, you're still growing, and and to be successful at it. So it's interesting. I start with some basic tenets. So when I left the CFL, you know, many people thought that I was going to go back to the United States to take on a bigger role in a bigger organization, you know, go back to whether the NBA or the NFL or a big organization, go run a sport, a sports team in the States. And I had decided sitting down with my wife, Suzanne, uh, a few different things. Number one, there's not a better city, I think, in North America than Toronto. Um, you know, it's an amazing place to raise our daughter, Parker, who's 11 years old now. You know, I love the cultural diversity. Um, you know, I love the tolerance in, in our community and, and those type of things. And as I started off with this podcast, you know, to live in the city and have nature all around you uh, is pretty amazing. So what I really want to do when I was leaving the CFL was to do a few different things. One is to support Canadian initiatives. So have platforms where I can help real institutions that are important. So things like Toronto Global and helping the city that I love. But also, I was approached by the Juno Awards, and they wanted someone outside the music industry to help them rethink about this the future of the Juno Awards and our charity. And I, I was the first sort of non-music person mm-hmm. to chair the Juno Awards, and I've been doing that for two years, and I love it. You know, we did a new deal with CBC. We're going to create a year-round celebration of music, just like a sports league. And music has never been more popular in Canada than it is now. So that's been very interesting. I also made the decision that I didn't want to be a hired gun anymore. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I really want to have equity in businesses that I was involved with. So I chair a company called Sensibil. Uh, Sensibil is a fast-growing fintech. We won fintech of the year um, uh, last year in partnership with Scotiabank. Uh, we just won this am- amazing uh, best in show at uh, Finnegate, which is uh, a fintech conference down in New York City. And we're having this explosive growth. So really exciting to see young entrepreneur growing a company very fast and having an ownership position in that. The other thing that I'm doing is 
is also in an industry I knew a long time ago. I used to be a, in college. I was a beer salesman wow. uh, and uh, for, for schooner beer, which is this beer from Atlantic Canada. And I learned a lot about sales in that role. And I met this amazing entrepreneur who started this company called Georgian Bay Spirit Company. And Georgian Bay has quickly grown in the Ontario region to be a really exciting craft uh, company. We are gin, Georgian Bay gin won silver, both the New York and San Francisco spirit competitions, some of the biggest spirit competitions in the world. Our vodka in San Francisco, which is the Oscars of competitions, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, won number one in the world, over 240 vodkas. And then we created these craft cocktails in a can called Georgian Bay Gin Smash and Georgian Bay Vodka Smash. And we said, you know, there's this whole category, Mike's Hard Lemonade and Palm Bay that are very sweet. We want to create a cocktail that people want to drink. Uh, and our Georgian Bay Gin Smash in Ontario now is the number one selling cooler at the LCBO. We've sold millions of cans. Vodka Smash just launched uh, three months ago as number five. So it is against these huge companies like InBev uh, that are there. But what I'm doing now is I'm constantly learning. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I didn't know anything about the music industry. Uh, I didn't know anything about foreign direct investment and what it means to bring in companies here. Uh, I didn't know much about fintech, <laughs> and I'm doing that. And I didn't know much about the liquor business, even though, you know, at some point I was a salesman. All of these come down to how do you scale a business? You know, how do you create the right team? And I've been really pushing mm -hmm. all those CEOs and making sure we have the right team on the bus, as Jim Collins says. And how do you really craft a brand and be true to your brand and the ethos of your company? And those are the things I've been working on that are, I think, basic principles in all those, whether it's, you know, fintech or the alcohol industry or whether the music industry, those are all things that are pretty uh, common themes that I've been focused on. Yeah. And it sounds like you're really passionate and you're really into it. I mean, these are, these are things that, that keep people uh, entertained and, and there's things that are happening, music, there's cocktails, there's everything. This is, I mean, it's really great. And it, and it sounds like, the more you're learning, the more you're able to give back as well to these entrepreneurs or these leaders as well and things that you've learned as well. And you're, well, it's, it's almost full circle, well, right? Well, it's really interesting. So one of the things about being a commissioner that is fascinating is your day is so different. So you might come in in the morning on a Monday morning um, and there you had four games over the weekend. You have to review tape. Uh, with the officiating team. You have to dole out fines if there's fines. You have to do discipline. You have to do a press event. You have to deal with your major television broadcaster on a day. You have to take phone calls from your owners. Um, you have to negotiate business deals. You have to mentor your staff. So the, every day, my job was so unique uh, at the CFL. Today, which is fascinating, if I think about a day that I'm having today. So um, woke up this morning. Uh, my first meeting was all about the Juno Awards uh, with the CEO of the Juno Awards and our, and our partner at CBC. Fascinating meeting. Then came here to Toronto Global and I had some meetings about the Amazon bid. I had a lunch meeting with the CEO of Sensibil. So talking all about how we're scaling that company uh, in the financial services uh, and the fintech area. We're doing this interview again about Toronto Global and about leadership. And this afternoon, I'm meeting with the sales team at Georgian Bay. So uh, it and then at the end of the day, I'm taking my daughter to her high diving class. So, Very cool. <laughs> um, so it really is about having a real diverse day. And that's what I love about what I'm doing now. I'm constantly learning. That's great. 
You talked a number of people that you've looked towards in terms of influences when it comes to running businesses or running organizations. Are there any other influences or mentors that that, that has helped you or, or are still helping you at this time? Yeah, I mean, my father still helps me immensely. He's 80 years old. Mm-hmm. We probably talk every day because he's a very well-known businessman here in Canada, you know, in the Business Hall of Fame, uh, has the Order of Canada, has the Order of Ontario, has the highest award from Russia and Israel. You know, when I first became commissioner 10 years ago, people said, you know, this is Mark Cohan, the son of George Cohan. People didn't know who I was. Now my father says he's the, he's the father of Mark. And it's very nice to see my father taking interest in everything I do. Like in the morning, he wakes up early. He will be emailing me stories about what's going on with the Amazon bid. Then he'll read a story about, uh, you know, interesting uh, beverage promotion or a spirits promotion he saw or something going on in the liquor industry. And he constantly uh, is engaging me and challenging me to think about how do you engage your consumer? How do you connect with the your end customer? And, uh, you know, that is amazing thing to have a father who's 80 who still does that. I'm 51 years old and he, and he still treats me like, uh, you know, not a young kid. He totally respects everything I'm doing, but he still gives me that mentorship, which is so lucky to have. And I think for him, it's also very refreshing as well, because it maybe for him, it feels like he's still in the game. Uh, I think you're right. You know, listen, he, you know, it was interesting at 53 years of age, he's decided to step down as CEO of his, of his company. And he's done a lot of interesting things, but you know, at 80, that was 27 years ago when you think about it. So, um, I think this is fun for him. Like, I think he does enjoy it. And he does it with my older brother, Craig, who lives in the UK. He used to be part owner of Search of Soleil in Russia. My brother is doing some very entrepreneurial things and my, my father does the exact same things with him. So it's great to have that. No, that's great. I love it. And I know we talked about your father a lot and you did mention a couple of things that he did, but I'd love to know if there's one thing that really sticks out maybe earlier in your career when you're really young. I know we talked about being happy and and really helping out, but what's the one key lesson that that really hits home with you? So I remember a couple, I'll tell two stories about my father. So one, because it really influenced me, as I mentioned earlier, when I was commissioner, when my my father had spent almost 15 years working to negotiate the deal to bring McDonald's into Russia. And, you know, he signs the deal after, after 14 years of negotiation. So this is the early 1990s. He'd started in 1976 on uh, negotiating uh, with the Soviets. And my brother and I, my mom and world leaders are in Moscow for the opening of McDonald's. And there are 500 guests from around the world, CEOs, politicians, And around four in the morning, my father wakes up in the middle of the night and has a nightmare. And he calls me and my brother were sharing a hotel room there. And he says, get up, boys. We're going to go to the restaurant. I'm like, dad, what are you doing? He goes, I had a nightmare that no one showed up. I'm like, dad, come on. The world media was setting up yesterday. There were two flatbed trucks in front of uh, setting up their cameras. So Good Morning America, BBC, uh, Canada AM, everyone was there. Nippon Television, all the Russian television Mm. were there. I said, dad, people are going to go, get your suit on at 6 a.m., the, open, the restaurant wasn't supposed to open until 11. We're going to go down there. So we, we jump in a car, rush to the restaurant. We have our interpreter. We get there. There are hundreds of police, but there's no one there. My dad is panicking. So we find the chief of police. Uh, we walk up to him and we say, we're all the people through our interpreter. And he goes, follow me. We walk around a corner and there are about 3,000 people in line. Wow. Uh, and the Soviet 
police chief basically said, you know, they're used to lining up. My dad said, boys, let's move the barricades. We, my dad, my brother and I picked up the barricades and moved them off to the side. And he walked people down into line to get into line for McDonald's. Well, that day McDonald's served 30,000 people. They had, it's a 700 seat restaurant. And my father sat outside that restaurant, stood outside and shook almost every person's hand as they came through the doors and said thank you to them. Like that was an amazing mm-hmm. story in leadership. So I really learned a lot from him about how do you engage your customer and just be an authentic leader, yes. you know, be yeah. show that passion for your brand and for your company. And I, and, and I've done that with everything. Like it was interesting. I just went to the LCBO today on the way back from a, a meeting and you know, the team here at Toronto Global is, is working really hard. So I bought them some of our product, our two drugs. Georgian Bay gin smashes and vodka smashes for the team. And as I was in line, there was a customer behind me who was buying our product. I gave her my business card. I said, email me your home address and I'm going to send you some uh, a gift. That type of engagement, I learned from my dad and it's really important. So that's one. And then the second one, which was really interesting is when I was running in between the sports career and the CFL, I'd run a software company called Audience View and it was taking on Ticketmaster. And what I realized about pr- pretty early on in that role, fast growing company, we, when I started maybe 10 employees, when I left about 60 or 70 employees. And what I learned that was that was a total B2B business. There was mm-hmm. no end consumer engagement. And I really missed that. And we had our daughter Parker. And I remember sitting uh, with her and walking around also in the hospital with her in my arms the first day. And I thought, I'm so happy at this moment with my wife, my daughter, but I really don't want to go back to work. Really not happy. And I'm the CEO of this company. Remember going home the next day, seeing my father sitting in his backyard, having a beer with him. He was drinking scotch. And I said, dad, I'm really not happy. And he said, well, I've always told you, you have to make a change if you're not happy. And he goes, can you afford it? And I said, I think I can. I got enough money in the bank. And he said, mm-hmm. well, maybe I'll talk to mom after this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I did. I'm joking around. And I decided, went home, spoke to my wife, Suzanne, that night. And I decided to quit the next day. And I didn't have anything else lined up. And I believed in myself. And that eventually led to the job as commissioner uh, of the CFL. I freed myself up. I stepped away from it. And I, and I had clarity in terms of what I want to do and be back in the sports space, be back in a consumer-facing job. So those were some interesting turning points where some defining moments for me. Not sure if I should really ask this to you, Mark, but what else? I mean, Mm. you got your hands in a number of organizations, but do you have anything exciting, uh, maybe some special projects, initiatives, that, uh, or even fun things that you're looking towards or excited about maybe towards the end of this year or even going to the new year? Um. Right now, like, listen, the four different things I have are really keep, keeping me busy. I didn't even talk about, you know, being on the board of Ryerson Future is one of the great accelerators as part of our university here. So seeing access to young companies coming up is, is really fascinating. I have, you know, I had been chairman of the Ontario Science Center for eight years on the board of the World Wildlife Fund. I've stepped back from a little bit of the charity work that I've been doing, and I'm going to start to redefine what's the next charity I want to get involved with because that's been part of my ethos uh, growing up. I would say right now, I'm 51 years old. Um, this summer, I tore my MCL on my knee playing basketball against a bunch of teenagers, but we still beat them. Oh, nice. Uh, which was good, <laughs> even though I, well, the game had to stop when I tore my MCL and it's slowly getting better. So I would say for me, a lot of my focus is, again, I, like I love being active outdoors, 
fitness and making sure my I, my knee recovers to be you know as fit as I can. You know, my my young daughter, she's a diver, she's a swimmer, she loves the outdoors, and being that young dad is really important to me. So I think I'm really going to focus a lot on that. I, I love that. I love that. I have a really young daughter, so. This gives me motivation mm-hmm. and really a drive to always stay fit as well. Yeah, so yeah. that's great. I'm having a blast, Mark. But before we end, I'd love to get some final thoughts, recommendations, and really what I'd like to share is some actionable items for, for the listeners out there who are looking to grow their career within a business leadership scope, whether it's in sports, entertainment, whether it's in anything that they love. I'd love to get, get your thoughts on that. I really think it's important for you to be authentic with people. Be who you are. You know, don't try and create an impression or, or create something that you're not. You know, don't try and be someone or a chameleon because you think in that job interview that's what they want. I really think it's important for your own happiness, <laughs> for you to be happy uh, with who you are and make sure that sings through. Now, you that might not be a place to work where you can do that. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's not the right place for you. But you really have to take the time to allow people to really see the true uh, person that you are. And, you know, that's not flighty. I think that's just, you know, being true and mm-hmm. being true. And if being you're real. true, yeah, being real. And if you're honest, people see that and then they'll want to follow you. And I think you really have to do that um, to, to be both happy in work and in life. Oh, that's great. I mean, I really appreciate that and really hearing your stories. But to close, Mark, please tell us where we could find more information about you, Toronto Global, and the dozens of organizations oh that, that, that you're a part of or anything you'd love to share. Uh, yeah, this is like a... Welcome to Mark Cohan Awards. You can find me at Toronto Global, Georgian Bay Spirit Co., <laughs> the Juno Awards. <laughs> you know what? Um, you know, here's what I'd have to say. You know, this is not me about, you know, the initiatives that I promote, I would say, you know, love your Canadian music and follow our Juno Award winners. If you're from Toronto and you love the city, figure out how you can be a brand ambassador of the city. So for your friends who don't know Toronto, uh, invite them here. You know, mm-hmm. uh, be an ambassador of the city. Uh, and... You know, I would say that our, our Georgian Bay spirits, it's best servo, served over rocks with your friends. So use it in a very social setting and enjoy it. <laughs> That's great. Mark, thank you again. I really appreciate it for joining us on the Business Leadership Podcast. Great. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. That's it, folks. Thank you for listening to episode 33 of the Business Leadership Podcast with Mark Kohan. After listening to that, don't you just love Toronto? And if you're not from here or you have never visited, I urge you, come visit Toronto and let me know. I would gladly give you a tour. It was really interesting to hear Mark's journey through the different sports leagues, what he did to change the culture when he landed in the CFL, and I love his passion and how he gives back a lot of his time to different initiatives like the Canadian music industry, the arts, even working for the zoo, and most of them are primarily Canadian-focused. To learn more about Mark, Toronto Global, or any of the companies that he mentioned, please visit the episode webpage at thebusinessleadership.com slash 033. Thank you again for all the messages. I appreciate the comments, the questions, and, and even the suggestions. So keep them coming. Feel free to contact me directly via email to edwin at thebusinessleadership.com. And if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, 
or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you again. Until next time, Edwin signing off. Thank you for listening to the Business Leadership Podcast at thebusinessleadership.com.